The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. To the house, This is unbelievable. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. It's the mid-season package, mid-season week. I mean, if you are here at CBS Sports, you are listening to the CBS Sports Digital Podcast, and you know that as one of the preeminent destinations for college football coverage, I mean, we've got uh, we've got the midseason covered from everything you need. At CBSSports.com, you'll be able to see the All-America team. You'll be able to see our second chance at making some expert picks. And uh, and here on the Cover 3 podcast, we're going to take it even deeper and, uh, and, and sort of take stock of where we're at and where we think things are going. So, Barton, I, I kind of like this exercise because I think that it – it refocuses me for the home stretch, the second half of October, November, in terms of really forcing me to to get out of whatever bubble I'm in and survey the landscape. So I kind of like this week. Yeah, pull pull it back a little bit, pull back the lens, and uh, get out of the minutia a little bit, and and sort of re rack things. Um. So where uh where do you want to start? Do you want to you want to get get started with our second chance expert picks? Uh, yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So, uh, on CBSports.com, you can see everyone's second chance expert picks. Dennis Dye, Jerry Palm, Tom Fernelli, Barrett Salee, Ben Kerchival, and ours. And so, I, when you had to break down first uh, picking a new college football playoff, you know, beginning of the season, we have to pick our four. And I think that, you know, that was where I, I rolled out my beloved USC Trojans. I pulled them back off the table. They are not in my second chance expert picks. But as you were trying to debate uh, a college football playoff field that as we've discussed here on the podcast and on CBS Sports HQ is is deeper than ever, um, you know, like where did you end up landing when you were trying to make those decisions? Well, I'll, I'll introduce this by just listed my four. I went Ohio State one, Alabama two, LSU three, Clemson four. And as as weird as that sounds to have two teams from the same division in the playoffs, I think that's starting to look more and more plausible and realistic. Uh, I think Ohio State looks like the best team. I think Ohio State Oh, I don't I mean I don't I don't I don't feel like like overly confident that Ohio State is the best team. I feel pretty confident Ohio State has, in fact, looked like the best team. But I also acknowledge that, you know, once we get into the playoffs, I mean, that's that's going to be a bunch of really good teams battling out. Who knows who wins it? But I, I think Ohio State at one. I still believe Ohio State survives the the Big Ten um, unscathed, no losses. Oh gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I didn't. Got, I mean, truthfully, I didn't think all that much about my one through four. I, I will admit it right now. I was thinking way more about like uh, who the four are than specifically landing on the seeding for them. So, all right, I, so how did you go about it then? What What do you mean, who the four are? Uh, like my, who the four are that you just think will land there and just not not really get in, into the the details of how they got there. Um, who the four are in terms of um 
like who ends up making the cut because the the college football selection college football playoff selection committee they they do rank them one through 25 but ultimately their only task is to pick the four best teams and so i think that that's a that's a little bit of uh, a little bit more about like handing out your rose bachelor style than it is yeah. making sure that two is in fact ahead of three. You know, we are we are splitting yeah, yeah. very, you know, we're, we're splitting hairs when it comes to the best teams in the country. My four is LSU, Oklahoma, Clemson and Ohio State. So Alabama's out. Alabama's out. Oh, look at that. Yeah. All right. So basically what you're saying is you think because. So you think LSU, as we stand here today, and I will grant you permission to to change this if if you know you learn more information that, and you want to. But as we sit here today, you think that LSU will beat Alabama, and that the SEC will get one in. Yes, I think LSU will beat Alabama, and I think that Alabama against you know whoever that ends up being that number four seed, like it. We, we talked about it's all about Alabama and Clemson. What if it comes down to a one-loss Alabama arguing its case against an undefeated Clemson? Talk about Occupy, Talk about Alabama players talking about uh, uh, thinking about Clemson all during SEC Media Day and Clemson living rent-free in the minds of the SEC. If it comes down to an undefeated conference champion Clemson and a one-loss Alabama, I think Clemson gets in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean... I guess there's going to be some people that will make the case that the you know one loss SEC team like Alabama should get in. I do you think that's even a real like, like is that even conceivable that the committee would do that though leave Clemson out undefeated? No, and it is a combination of both the. I mean, it is a combination of both a little bit like. Not conspiracy theorist, but it just it, it doesn't pass the smell test, right? You're just you're the defending champs who go undefeated, which means that they would have won twenty eight games in a row, just isn't gonna get left out. Yeah. I, I I'm at like if obviously the undefeated teams from the top tier I think will end up getting in, but where I'm at right now and why I have Alabama and LSU in is because I think as good as those two teams are playing right now and as good as they look, as good as sort of the the eye test, the sex appeal, all that, that that's there. If that game is, is close, if that game is really competitive, if that game is what we think it'll be, then as long as there's not three other, four other undefeated teams, I feel pretty confident that Alabama and LSU would get in over, say, like like the loser of that game, if they win all the others, I feel pretty confident would get in over, say, a one-loss Big 12 champ, a one-loss ACC champ, a one-loss Big 10 champ. I think they'll. I think the perception of the of the loser of that game, if it wins everything else, will be high enough to beat out any other one loss team that wins a conference. Okay. And that comes back to another. So the a team that is in mine and not in yours and the one that I, my preseason pick, and I just decided to ride it out when I was given a second chance to re-rack it, uh, Oklahoma. So that means that with everything that you've seen from Oklahoma so far this year, I, I would assume that your prediction is that there is a loss in the Sooners future. That is my prediction. Yes. Mm. I think they, I think they lose somewhere. I mean, they've got, I mean, by the way, and like just just to throw this out there, we don't have three undefeated teams at the end of college football seasons. Normally, right. like it might be two. Sometimes right. it's just one. So you're you're not out of line to suggest that a college football team might lose a game. I think that Oklahoma, the the last five games of the year, at Kansas State, Iowa State, at Baylor, TCU, at Oklahoma State. I think those are five losable games. I'm not saying that they, they, like, I think they are capable of losing any one of those games. And if if you're throwing me a, a five game stretch of losable games, when you know taking into account what you just said, I just think that that's that that's that, I'm, I'm going with the numbers there. I'm going with the odds. 
conversely, like for instance, Alabama, they have one, two, three, four, five, six regular season games left. They have, in my opinion, two of those are losable. Auburn. And I would say, and and I would say, yeah, Auburn and LSU. Yeah. And 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 to to be clear, and and while I think Alabama is better in, in Oklahoma, I, I at least I lean that way. If you gave Oklahoma Alabama's remaining schedule, I would say that they only have two losable games too. Like Oklahoma ain't losing to Mississippi State or Arkansas or Tennessee. Um, so I just think it's the nature of Oklahoma having a tougher schedule, and uh, and just. You know, I just think they'll 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 slip up somewhere if not the, in the uh, Big Twelve championship game. Okay, and before we uh, before we move on from our re-racked projected playoff, I, I want to so, sort of throw this out there. We I mentioned it on CBS Sports HQ last night as I was pulling back the lens and as I was sort of surveying the landscape and doing all my uh, hard research to make sure I had everything right. Man, I. I I want to, and this could all be washed away very, very quickly, but I, I want to at least entertain the conversation that the SEC is not the only conference capable of getting two teams in. And where you were mentioning that, you know, two teams from the same division, that is, uh, the, you know, that might be something that some people can't quite figure out. If Ohio State and Penn State is an instant classic and that game goes all the way down to the wire and Penn state continues to improve and, and dismantles Michigan this weekend. And uh, at the end of the year is an 11 and one team, but just it's only losses in Columbus to the Buckeyes. You know, so I guess we could say the same thing about Wisconsin. If they continue to be as dominant as they've been, I think the big 10, if, if the sec right now has three teams that, are sort of in the playoff talk, and maybe it's only two, or where it's Alabama, LSU, maybe Georgia, and I guess you could say maybe Florida, though we know the loser of that is probably out. I think the Big Ten has three teams that have a, a good-looking shot at the playoff, and that's where a Clemson, who if you lose, you're going to be right there on the chopping block. An Oklahoma, if you lose, you're right there on the chopping block. I, I really believe that the Big Ten, at this point in the season, looks as likely as the SEC to maybe get more than one team in the playoff. That's fair. I think the Big Ten is the only conference that has right now three teams that look playoff worthy. I guess you could make the argument that... Are you throwing Georgia out? You just said like... Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah I mean, I, and that's, you know, I, I I guess Georgia could work itself back in, and, and but I mean... Home, I mean, a home loss as a 24-point favorite to South Carolina? Right. No shows like that have gotten Ohio State thrown out of the playoff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I think to your point, so like as, as you play that out, I think, for example, uh, I mean, barring like a chaos elsewhere, uh, if everyone just sort of has generally the, the, the finish we expect – I think that Penn State would have to beat Ohio State and then Ohio State is the second team in. Then if Penn State loses to Ohio State, I just I think that they would have a little bit of a hard time jumping some of the other teams that that sort of the national collective likes. Uh, and and then, you know, same thing. Like I think Wisconsin might would have to win that Big Ten championship game and then you know, because Ohio State beat them earlier in the season or because Ohio State was like, I think that the, the Wisconsin or Penn State would have to be the one that that sort of makes that regular season or, or that that statement win. And then Ohio State sort of collective body of work prior is, is what jumps that second team into the playoffs. We Does don't. Sense? Yeah, 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 for sure. Because there's a certain especially with the I love the Penn State point because Penn State's profile so far doesn't have a whole bunch of big margins. It doesn't have a bunch of big point margins. It doesn't have a bunch of big yardage margins. And Ohio State's just obliterating everyone. And so that's where if Penn State is the champion then and has that win, regular season win against Ohio State, you're like, well, you got to put them in. And then Ohio State looks like a dominant one-loss team. Penn State might not have such a dominant profile, certainly not compared to the Buckeyes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, did you did you get uh, any? Gr were there any gripes from our from the midseason All America team? Oh no! I mean, 
I'm trying to think. Uh, I mean, I obviously had some players different, but a lot of it was was generally like what I what I had on mine. I thought the I, I I was in agreement with Jamar. I'm, I'm glad everyone else agreed with me on Jamar Chase being in there at receiver because there's there, like heading into this season there were some big names that I thought would would maybe have the catch the eye of others, but Jamar Chase has been I think the most consistent big time receiver in the country so far this year. So I liked having him on there. Uh, I was glad Pene Sewell was on there. I thought he was a, a must have. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was have, have you guys heard about Penny Sewell? I think I think I'm going out of my way to mention his name just to continue to push it out into the ether cuz it's uh it's it's what it's what everyone wants to which is fair if we're talking about Oregon, right? Like it's if we're talking about Oregon, we should talk about the offensive line. If we're talking about the offensive line, you should talk about Penny Sewell, but everyone's got a Penny Sewell fascination right now. Yeah. And I, I I'm 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 here for it. I'm I'm with it. Oh, you know who didn't make? I say the only guy that didn't make it that I think probably should have. And it's tough because all the linebackers that made it are worthy. But um, Isaiah Simmons, I think, got the shaft a little bit here. Isaiah Simmons, and I'll talk about him in in our superlatives a little bit. But I thought he deserved to be on there. Go go gadget arms and legs. Yeah, yeah, just all over the place. I and that's the, that's the Clemson linebacker. Sometimes we get comments in oh, our yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that we don't that we don't uh, identify guys well enough. We just throw names out. So yes, Clemson linebacker Isaiah Simmons. Good. Hey, that's self scouting. Well, I guess it's not self scouting. It's taking some uh, taking evaluation and being able to push it forward. We're improving. Being, it's being coachable. Being yeah. coachable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I I thought that when you were breaking down the the defensive line and the the linebackers as you mentioned it it felt like you were overwhelmed with options as usual the the offensive line you're not going to find as much of a, a unified position and with with uh Jamar Chase I, I love his case because you you pushed Jamar Chase early like knowing him from recruiting and as a prospect and I tr- I was like a little bit too excited about him last year from hearing about him from you. And I think he made a couple of uh, big plays. I mentioned his name way more than he was actually turning <laughs> up production for it. And right. now I feel like I'm cashing in on it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yes, that's paying out right now. Yeah. So I'm good. I'm glad. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that uh, I didn't let us down on that on the hype train. Yeah, for sure. I, I was out here, and I think that at one point last season, even you were. I was like, and I mean Jamar Chase, right? And you're like, yeah. I mean, he's playing okay, but I don't know. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, let's uh, let's let's dig into the uh, to the superlatives. Where do you, do you want to start with players or coaches or teams? No, let's start with uh, let's with. Well, I mean, I'll like. I think a good place to start is, is, you know, kind of taking a positive spin, you know, an optimistic approach, most pleasant surprise team, maybe. Is that a good place to start? Yeah, love it. All right. Um, so I'm going to save, because I got a coach of the year comment, I'm going to save one team. But uh, I, I would say under the pleasant surprise categories, uh, probably – and this is because generally pleasant surprise is like the team you thought was going to go, you know, miss a bowl and and ends up eight and four or something. But I'm going to go a little different route. That you know, the team that's supposed to be eight and four, and looks like they might be eleven and one. I'm going Wisconsin. Yep. You know, that's a that's been a pleasant surprise in in just seeing that program. Like because last year. I was at the Big Ten Media Day, and and the the whole narrative was let's talk to Paul Crisp and Chris and see what it's like being a team that actually has national title expectations thrust on you. How's it going, Coach? Like, are you guys dealing with this new narrative? Um, and you know, they tried to to shrug it off, and and it was it was the same approach that they typically have every year. But ultimately whether the the preseason expectations got to them or not it was a it was a very different looking team and now all of a sudden they sneak in under the radar once again and shame on us for letting them do that but i they they look this is this is the best Wisconsin team yet it looks like 
And um, there were some injury because to me, it was uh, a lot of the defense falling apart and they literally were falling apart a little bit because the injuries were stacking up and, and the, and you know, the performance also suffered a little bit. And when Wisconsin lost itself defensively, that's when a big part of the, the whole team identity starts to fall apart because you run the ball really well and you play great defense. Well, if the defense starts to get leaky, then the offense now has to become a little bit more aggressive. And it, you know, Alex Hornibrook wasn't going to be that player. And that offense was missing uh, some skill position players for both injury and off field reasons. So the, the whole sort of, uh, the team that we thought was going to be wasn't the team that was, but you're a hundred percent right because that team started in the top 10 and it went seven and five in the regular season. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they've, and look, to be clear, they've, I, I don't know what their injury count has been, but I mean, there's a couple guys that come to mind that have, have gotten banged up. I mean, Scott Nelson, their starting safety, who's a really good player. I mean, he was hurt pretty early in the year. Uh, I feel like they've had other secondary guys that have been a little banged up and they've, so they've, they've responded to that and they've, and they didn't even, like, I don't even think that they coming into the season this year, I don't even know that their defense had as many recognizable names as it did coming into the season last year. But the, but I think more guys have just stepped up and they've been sort of ready for the next man up approach this year more so than last year. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been a classic Wisconsin, uh, uptick and it's been fun to watch i think all of a sudden we got a team like legitimately they they look right now they're they're blowing teams out at the same rate ohio state is they they just they just outdid ohio state and beating up on michigan state that's something i uh i did it sort of takes away from the the nature of superlative that uh that i've got a couple listed here but it's um it, it it makes for good conversation so i i also had wisconsin written down I've also got uh, a pair of uh, a pair of Barton Simmons specials. I've got Baylor and Missouri, and uh, and I've got SMU. Those are the ones yeah. that came to mind. And so I I guess I want to start with SMU because that's the one I've been a little bit late to. That's that's one of those teams where they were an undefeated start that includes wins over TCU and a a wild uh, you know like twenty plus point comeback and overtime win. They. They've been generating buzz. It, it is on me. Like this is just something where it is. It's not been an oversight. I've been ranking them in the CBS Sports 130, but I just haven't really dug into what's happening there. And I see uh, Sonny Dykes. I I see Rhett Lashley, offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, and I see Shane Bouchelle. And I'm like, dude, SMU is second chance. You like this is a whole bunch of just college football like. It didn't work out at this one stop, but we're all pulling together and we're all starting to get on the same page and, and uh, putting ourselves in a position where we're going to be able to go and challenge for a conference championship. And given some of the frustrations and some of the shortcomings that you know they have had at different stops, I think that this is a, a really, really cool story for the Mustangs moving forward. You're in the thick of a an AAC race that I also think is, um, and I, I think I might have mentioned this before, but that I, I think it's going to be a really, really fun race uh, to track down the rest of the season. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's it, the Sunny Dykes deal is very because you you mentioned it almost as like second chance. You said second chance, you kind of deal, and almost as if you know these are guys that sort of missed on their first job or their first go round, and now they're they got another opportunity. But like the Sunny Dykes track is really interesting because so he was head coach at Louisiana Tech. Right. Had a ton of success there relative to Louisiana Tech. You know, went nine and three his last year there and, and then he gets so you know, sort of the next step is all right, you go you get a head coaching job. Um I guess he was following up Tedford at Cal. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So he go he follows Tedford at Cal. Ofer first season or just Ofer in conference play? He was one for eleven in the first season. Yeah. But then gets it going and was five and seven, eight and five, like produced Jared Goff. Defense wasn't great, but they still, even in 2016, like they had, they, they could score points. And he didn't even get fired. He just, just wanted to, I, 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 he just kind of wanted to leave. Like it just wasn't a cult. He's a Southern guy. I think he's a Texas guy. He's a Texas uh, guy. Yeah. 
you know, he he wanted to just get back into like a a like the uh, Cal sounds like a weird place. And and so I think he's wanted to get well, back and then yeah, I mean, kind of <laughs> like it's Berkeley for sure and like culturally, yeah, probably not uh right up there with Sonny Dykes, former Texas Tech assistant of sort of Big 12 country southwestern bred, sure. Right. And so now here he is at Cal and he's I'm sorry, at SMU and he's and like I guess we like we really not that I am surprised, but I mean no one should be surprised that he's having success because he's quietly probably the type of guy that would be a great hire for a lot of power fives. Um and and I think SMU should enjoy this because ultimately they beat an over a team that probably wasn't as good as we thought they were in TCU. They've beaten South Florida. We know they're not that good. Tulsa, they almost lost to, I guess, kind of North Texas in a dominating fashion win there is, is probably their big, their best, not their best, TCU's their best, but North Texas was their first statement win. And now, they gotta go, now they've got to play Temple at Houston, at Memphis, at Navy, Tulane. Like, that's the home stretch. So enjoy this, SMU, because you probably got another couple losses coming. But absolutely, this is – this is sort of fun to watch this crew like kind of roll up. I think that they, they're seven and a half point favorites against Temple. I do think that they will beat the uh, Houston year zeros. I think right. at Memphis is going to be tough. And then, I mean, they should be ECU Navy too. I mean, this might be a 10 win team. It might be. Yeah. Wild. Uh, all right. And then I, uh, did you only have Wisconsin? I also had Baylor well, and Missouri. I want to give them some love at some yeah, point too. Even though we Missouri kind of got a little bit of like preseason, like will they be nine and zero hype? So this, they're in some ways they're on track. Um, Baylor, yes, absolutely. I also, I for pleasant surprise, I also had North Carolina. Yeah, because remember, like we were talking about North Carolina preseason as are they going to be? You know, are they, is this going to be like a three win team? Are they going to have a quarterback that can complete anything? And they found a quarterback in Sam Howell. That's what it's all about. I mean, he's won them a couple games late. They found a quarterback. They recruited a quarterback. They got him, true freshman. They went out and got him, stole him from Florida State. And now Sam Howell is one of the best true freshman quarterbacks in the country. And consequently, UNC is pretty dang competitive. So that's been a pleasant surprise. UNC, Duke, and Virginia is the ACC Coastal Race right now. Okay, so that's I'm going to use that as my – as, as a jumping off point uh, to, to one of my other superlatives. Okay. Best game of the year. And I, I the, the ACC gets a lot of heat and probably deservedly so. And there's, and, and I also, as I was looking for this, I realized like this has been kind of a dud of a season so far. Right. Like, it, it, there hasn't yes. really been that many good games. Um, and none of these games won, but like in the ACC, like some of the best kind of nonsensical stuff is going on. U- UCF Pitt was a wild game and fun. UNC Clemson obviously is sort of up there the way that played out. Pitt Duke was Nuts. a wild one. <laughs> An inadvertent uh, signal at the end of that game. Yeah. Yeah, so there. I mean, so uh, there's probably some others in the ACC that I could have put in there, but like those were a few of them. I also had Georgia, South Carolina on there. Uh, I still haven't heard you mention a certain contest that took place in Winston Salem recently. Uh, what the Wake Wake Louisville? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> that's out there. But but you but the 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 winner of this race uh, is outside the ACC though. Oh, okay, and it's it's obvious. Do you know what it is? It's uh, UCLA over Washington State. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> that was awesome. Go if if you're listening to this and you just kind of need something to fall asleep to some night, or maybe you don't. You need like to you you staying awake waiting for something, and you just need to kind of uh, stay engaged, get your energy, your, your adrenaline up a little bit. Turn, pop on that DVR of Washington State UCLA. I'll get you fired up. Do you still have it on your DVR? Is it green starred so that it's saved until permanently de- until manually deleted? Well, I'm just telling you, this YouTube TV stuff is no freaking joke. Basically, I have like on-demand college football. I you click two, you 
in two clicks, you can have the entire season DVR'd. And I, I literally just go in and I, in my search bar, I just type out what game I want and pops right up. TV, phone, tablet, whatever you want. I'm a big YouTube TV guy, man. I, I hear I hear the, uh, the the free live read going down right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So I am, I I am probably still gonna land on LSU Texas. I mean that game that was, was good. awesome. Yeah. And Texas just kept fighting all the way to the end. Like that game for there there were maybe three third downs in the last like uh, maybe two three four minutes of that game where that place was getting loud, they were exhausted, but it was just every little bit, and they knew they just needed one stop, and then Joe Burrow would throw a 25-yard touchdown pass. And the the sort of back and forth there, and then also, I guess, the the big picture significance. You know, we come out of that game being like, wow, holy cow, Texas has got some good wide receivers, you know? And we come out of that game being like, wow, LSU might be a national championship contender, and Joe Burrow might be the best quarterback in the country. And I, it is all of the bias reasons because we were there, but that that game felt big. I thought it delivered, and in uh, like you mentioned, it's been a season where it, not all the games have delivered. So I, that's that's probably still one of my favorite games of the year. That's a good answer. That's I'm with you on that one. Um, where uh, do you want to go, disappointment team? Uh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Nebraska. This- Okay. I'm with you there. Yeah, I mean, I got... I got uh, not just because of the, the fact that they were picked to win the Big Ten West, but also that's there was an understanding that in order to compete for a Big Ten championship, the defense had to get better. It has just been porous against the run. Adrian Martinez, this, this massive... This step forward in year two under Scott Frost... Hasn't quite been there. The offense has been, uh, you know, a little bit inconsistent as, at times. And, and I just think that in terms of where I had my expectation, that it has been a little bit of a disappointment. Not not that Nebraska's season is unsalvageable, but that to this point in the year, a Nebraska team that was ranked in the top preseason top 25, I, I have a difficult time arguing that they are one of the 50 best teams in the country. Yeah. Well, no, I, I don't think they are one of the top 50 teams in the country right now. Um, they're right at about six. What is it? There's 130 teams. What is that? Uh, 65. They're at. They're 65th. They are. <laughs> they they are, are right there. Average as grits. And, <laughs> oh man, and, is is that just like your old like Kentucky family just coming through right there? I don't know. That's just, <laughs> I don't know. That that gets floated around here in 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 the southeast a good bit. So that's that one's that one's pretty standard. But I. The my my thing with them isn't it even the defense. It's it is the offense. Like I what I was so I wouldn't you know what if they came into if they were at this point in the season four and three like they are, I could I could rock with that. But I wanted it to be a four and three with an identity, like an identity of we're going to score points. Like I wanted like at this point, Nebraska as a program. I, should be like, you know, coming out to the beach in a sleeveless shirt, kind of, hey, I may not be very smart, but I got big biceps kind of guy. You know, like I know what I am. Like I am, I can do this well. I, like this is UCF in the, in the Midwest kind of deal. And it's just not that. Like I, they're, they're not the, it's, it, the, the, the offense to me is supposed to be clicking by now. And and then the defense, I was okay if that was going to come along a little slower, but it's they're both sort of taking their turns, being inconsistent and not really hitting it on on all cylinders. And they, they've got flashes, you know. Wandale's been Wandale Robinson, their true freshman, all-purpose back has been good uh, and exciting. And 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 but I don't think Adrian Martinez has looked like he's sort of taken some big leap forward like no. we we expected him to. Yeah. So so yeah, it's all part of it um let's see my, yeah. my team my team was was and this one is to me is like obvious this was the big one for me 
biggest disappointment by far to me is UCLA. Oh. Like UCLA. Good good call. They're one in five. Like this, yes, yes. Good call. The, 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 I, we spent because, hey, week one, week it's you know, we got like seven months to talk about week one. And week one was UCLA Cincinnati. And I had to tell give people my prediction for UCLA Cincinnati for it felt like two months. And it was always about, well, year two, you know what? UCLA may not be recruiting that well, but they sure are getting the right guys and they sure are uh, developing them. And they're, you know, behind the scenes, I think things have really taken place there in that program. And they come out there and they're just, they just look like just zeros. And they had, and that wasn't even a fluke. They've kind of looked like a zero every week. And so UCLA, for a team and for a coach with the reputation that he has, uh, for them to just take zero step forward, in fact, almost looks like they're taking a step back. Like that's been a huge disappointment. I, the other ones that I had for the purposes of conversation, I are like they, they aren't even that bad. I, I don't know if, except for Northwestern. Northwestern's a disappointment. I, there's, it's not that I have sky high expectations for Northwestern, but that that team is uh, especially offensively. I guess I could I could zero in on the Northwestern offense because it it might be one of the least effective offenses in in all of the Power Five. I also put Syracuse, Stanford, Washington State, and Mississippi State on my cutting room floor. A lot of disappointment. Yeah, I got a yeah. I would say. Like I bet you, among those teams, like fans in Starkville, I would imagine are are surprisingly right now probably even more frustrated than fans in in Oxford. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and that that's that's probably a tough pill to swallow because they just came in with higher expectations. They Joe Moorhead came in with a with a a better deck of cards than Matt Luke and. I don't, you know, after the, all those first round draft picks left, they're just not, they're not really looking like he's, he's the answer they thought they were. Maybe they'll get it rolling, but, um, you know, I, yeah, I think Mississippi State could definitely fit in that. Coming up on the other side, some coaches that we expect to catch some buzz during the coaching carousel and some players that have impressed us so far in the 2019 season. More midseason superlatives next. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Are you want to do coaches or players? Uh, let's keep rolling with, let's do coaches. Okay. I think there are a ton of really, really good defensive coordinators in this coaching cycle. And I think that the offensive coordinator, uh, pool is a little bit smaller and I'm fascinated to see what schools decide to do because whether you're talking about, uh, a Jim Leonard, a Jeff Halfley and Alex Grinch, like there are. Uh, Brent Pry, I guess I w- you could also add to that group. There are some sure. really, really good defensive coordinators that are that are probably good candidates. Traditionally, you know, you go around, you look for the best coordinators in the country, especially at big time Power Five schools. Are they ready for the opportunity? And I, I tell you what, I, I don't know if schools are going to make those make the choice to go and uh, to go and hire the 
the defense, the DCs out there. And, and you know, I, I don't imagine Joe Brady gets plucked. And I guess I'm, I'm just sort of sitting here looking at chip long and, uh, kind of feeling like I'm at a, a at a loss for for seeing who exactly is going to be the next assistant hired. Yeah, well, there. So next assistant hired. Well, how about how about here's one. How about Rich Rodriguez? Oh. But, but I don't know. I mean, he he's got a few off field stuff. You know, last job um, that might might be a problem there. But I do agree. That so all the offensive coordinators it feels like are head coaches like they're the guys that have gotten hired to or, be head coaches already or and it's so, a reach like if we have to get all the way to Marcus Arroyo then that's a reach if we're talking about power five jobs right I agree um, so yeah I but I do think there's some you know Alex Grinch uh, is is absolutely sort of making that statement this year now that he's he's going to be a, a appealing candidate um jimmy lake isn't surging this year necessarily so i didn't really like write him down as a guy to talk to because i don't know that he's a story of the of the early season this year but i think jimmy lake the defensive coordinator at washington is still probably at the top of the list of hireable coordinators right now um i so i think yeah, I mean, in terms of of coordinators poised to to get that head job, um, you know what? Brent Pry is a pretty good one, and that's the Penn State defensive coordinator. Barton just did a good job of pulling out the school so that we can make sure that <laughs> we identify that one. That is Penn State defensive coordinator Brent Pry. Yeah, because because Pry is, you know, he's coached because. A, you know, he he's got a good personality. He's recruited well. He's coached at Vanderbilt. He's coached at Louisiana Monroe. He's coached at Georgia Southern, I believe. He's been, he's a very, he's like a chameleon personality-wise that can fit in in a lot of different geographical areas. He's from Pennsylvania, I think, but he's actually, he's got a very Southern vibe to him. Um, and so he's, if they keep on playing well, um that's a, I think that's probably if you're talking about new names that are going to emerge as a strong candidate to, for a head job this year based on what's going on. I think Brent Pry is probably a pretty good candidate. Um, did you have any others uh, on your list for assistant most likely to be hired? Um, no, and and part of it is because it just feels like just doesn't feel like this is that year. Like you know, even we talked about Mike Elko potentially for Rutgers, and that makes a ton of sense, but it. I just don't know that Rutgers is going to go coordinator route this year. Uh, is you know for the jobs that are going to be open, just uh, I mean again, I still think uh, Jimmy Lake's probably the one seed to me as far as the court. But and even like you know Jeff Halfley at Ohio State, the D, the co DC that 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 popped up. Uh, you know he's I feel like too too early in the national consciousness to sort of get that job this year. You know, like Clark Lee, if Vanderbilt comes open this year, Clark Lee played at Vanderbilt and would be a great fit there. But is Vanderbilt comfortable going with someone like that who's in his second year as a D coordinator? I think there's just a cup like for the for the for the jobs that would fit, it feels like there's a couple guys or just like the situations may not be may not align to where we see that happen. But uh, I do think there's still some really good candidates this year. Um, but I think we got to just sort of see how the, the dominoes fall to, to see if they make sense. Halfley is a New Jersey native, though. Would Rutgers want to go right back to hiring Ohio State's defensive coordinator? Right, exactly. And that's and he's and and he, he probably would be a great fit and a great hire, but they probably wouldn't be ready for that. Yeah, they just wouldn't. They wouldn't do it. I don't think, um, you know, so that's that's yeah, that's exactly kind of what I'm getting at. So uh, so what about coaches to be fired? Uh, well, I mean, the hottest seat is probably Lovey Smith. Agree. Would you agree with that? Yep. I just don't know how you defend it at this point. I don't know how you how you spin this as things are heading in the right direction. Things will get better. Things are we're just hey, yeah, bear with us. I mean, if it ain't happening by now, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, the other one, I and and he's ha- gone to a couple bowls. 
but as a Nashville native that's that's seen it up close, it's it's a little bit hard to get optimistic about the future of Vanderbilt under Derek Mason, mm. particularly after the way they just laid a total egg against UNLV. A UNLV team that has its own like head coach on the hot seat. Yeah, UNLV team that's that Tony Sanchez is is supposed to get fired because he can't win in the Mountain West. And they be giving up like forty four points a game in to group of five teams, and Vandy gets ten at home. I, that that's that's just man, I don't like that's just bad. It's really bad. Do you so I the the names that I had on my list, which is like on the, the not more likely than Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith to me is a a little bit of a tier on its own when we talk about Power Five and potential job openings. There is. A second. And by the way, we at some point, you know, there needs to be an autopsy where we dig in and see why Lovey Smith doesn't work, but Herm Edwards did. You know what I mean? Like why? Like the NFL, the NFL model doesn't. It's not a. It's it, you know it does it, it won't not work and it won't. It's not a definite yes or a definite no it's it's about the personality it's about the fit and lovey smith for whatever reason i mean i'm sure that guy knows his football but uh maybe it's just the personality you got to have a little more energy on the recruiting trail what have you but that for that to be as dramatically wrong as as uh lovey as herm edwards is dramatically right um is kind of interesting to me i do think it's personality I think that the, I don't, I don't know. I just, I can well, see. So let's think about it. Like, cause if so, and we had a, we actually had a, a question, a comment question about this at some point. Um, but the, the, the NFL personalities that have work have been Herm Edwards, Pete, Pete Carroll. Carroll. Is, is there another one out there on the top of your head? Uh, do you, are you going to say like it was Jim Harbaugh count, I guess. Yeah. Probably Jim not. Harbaugh counts. Because he was he was Stanford first though. Oh, okay, good call. Um, but I guess my point is those those two at least there's probably others we're missing were very high energy. Mm-hmm. And Lovey doesn't seem as high energy. That's I mean in the same way that uh, like the the in all right. So I, I'm going to use this word, but I don't necessarily mean it all the way with a negative connotation. But I think it it sort of fits. But the cheesy stuff worked with Pete Carroll at USC. The lean on yeah. me, the like, let's let, let's do all these, uh, you know, group building, boundary breaking, uh, icebreakers, like all that kind of stuff. It he was able to get it to work and sort of refine it at USC. And I think that you know, like Herm Edwards has not stopped being a, a you know, just a, a motivational speaker. Uh, you know, leading leading the youths, you know, like he's he has been sort of in that position, and I think one of the uh, institutional things that I want to investigate is a comment that I heard him make earlier this season in an interview. And Barton, you can probably help me with this, but he said that the one of the ways that they're using a professional model within the uh, team. It's with the the scheduling and the meetings and sort of the way everything is, is set up. But the other thing is with the recruiting with uh, profiles, positional profiles, looking for certain heights and weights for certain, like there's, it almost becomes a, a little bit scientific. Now, I don't know if we would see the results from that right away, but I, I think that it's fascinating to continue to watch as, as he builds up that Arizona State program, as that group, you know, is really, really young right now as they continue to mature. It's, uh, it's, it is going to be something that I think could give more uh, NFL coaches opportunities in college. Well, but it, it, at the same time, like as I, I would, like if Jeff Fisher wants to push himself for the USC gig or Jack Del Rio or one of these types, like that's, um, I'd be a little hesitant at those you guys. Those guys feel a little Lovey Smithish. You know, they don't you, feel like the they don't feel like the high energy lead the youths kind of right kind of role. Right. Yeah, you got, um, you got to be a little bit of a 
you got to be a little bit of a youth group leader, a little bit of a motivational speaker. <laughs> That's right. Like you just, yeah. you need to, you need to have that little extra bit to you. Nah, yeah. But you were, I, I interrupted you. You were going on, there's a couple others you were bringing up from a hot seat perspective. Oh, so Chad Morris at Arkansas. See, I don't think, because he's, they played well the last couple weeks. It is still year two and it's a, it's a, um, system change a philosophical change that they're going through offensively and that's what I, I i think he is i'd be shocked if if arkansas seriously made a uh like a serious push to to, to get rid of him okay and then the other one that i'm saying sort of is, is sitting at a turning point here at the midseason is steve adazio i yeah i'm i'm with you there uh, this could go yeah. two ways, you know, and Anthony Brown, their starting quarterbacks can be out for a little bit. Uh, I think that the it's not that one game or a certain win count is going to make or break this, but it certainly feels like there's uh, some rustling behind the scenes in the kind of sense that, you know, the agent world and the search firm world is starting to put together its list should Boston College become open. Yeah. I talked to someone in the in the industry, so to speak, recently that you know that that one's definitely on the radar. Um, and I mean, look, he's he's I, and and I, ironically, I think that he has done a really good job. And it, there, I think there that is a really challenging place to win. And he had like, can you like, can you imagine? There's a lot of people. There might, I mean, there, look, I'm not saying there's no one out there that could come in and make Boston College a 10 and 2 team uh, perennially, but I would imagine there is very, there's very few people that can take Boston College and improve on what Steve Adazio has done because he's made them competitive every year. Like you know, you're in for a dogfight when you play Boston College, and that's sort of a seven win ceiling, and he hasn't been able to bust through that. But they've also had some pretty good seven-win teams, and I know that that's you know that's a bad place to be in a lot of ways for fans. Either to be really good or you're really terrible. If you're right in the middle, like people start getting bored with it. Um, but I, I think Steve Adazio has actually done a pretty good job there. I think he has done a great job there, but ten years can run their course, and I yeah. think that when you don't have that ten-win season it makes it much easier when it looks like the bo- when it looks like things are starting to slide back and fall fall out a little bit it makes it easier to make the decision to move on because uh you don't have the promise that there is a 10 another 10 win season in the future if you haven't seen it and so if the you know if the voices or if the coaching you know voices start to to wear a little bit you start to just sort of run its course a little, a little bit of hit the reset button, the refresh button. Thanks, Steve. This was great. I mean, truthfully, is would it be? I mean, this was just sort of what I experienced locally. Uh, you know, to that mutual parting of ways, right? Where it's like, Larry, yeah. I don't, I don't think that they're listening to you anymore. <laughs> this, right. You know, it's. I, I think that this has run its course. We appreciate it. You got us to an ACC championship game. You guided us through an NCAA scandal. Uh, but no, nah, I, I think that we're gonna we're gonna take it back to the MAC. So uh, see ya. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know where no, they right. go with that, but uh, um, uh, here's one. Coaches shouldn't get too comfortable. Meaning, you know, like. If you've got a like a pest control treatment that comes, you know, biannually, or if you're biannually, you know, I live in you, the woods. We get quarterly, son. <laughs> if, you get, if you've got a, like a, you plan on aerating your yard this spring or something, maybe like just put a hold on that because you you're probably gonna need to start, you know, pricing out some moving trucks. Uh, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati is I think the group of five coach right now that is emerging as the hottest. The He's the pretty girl at the dance right now. I know. Because it was, you know, it's been, you know, and, and Mike Norvell is still there. And, um, you know, the, there's, there, there's, 
there's several good group of five candidates. I mean, Jason Candle at Toledo is still still one of those guys, and um, you know, I mean, we talked about Sonny Dykes. Like, there's there's a lot going on, but I think Luke Fickle is sort of that consensus, unanimous, everybody wants him sort of dude, and and especially given the kind of jobs that that could come open, like say say I don't know what you know if James Franklin goes to USC I mean Luke Fickle would probably be a candidate for Penn State um he'd be a candidate for Michigan State if if D'Antonio retires it, Yo, so know. what's up with that gosh I cannot believe I didn't mention that earlier there is growing conversation that the D'Antonio era might come to an end in the near future I don't know I mean I know I mean a lot of it's got to be just sort of the I mean he's getting you know I, so often, a lot of times, we see these coaches that they just they they don't want to fire their buddies and they want to be loyal. And AD administration goes to them and says, "You got to get, you got to do something here." And they say, "You know what? Maybe it's just time." And I'm not saying that's happening at Michigan State. I I can't imagine that there's there's a whole lot of people in that administration that can put any kind of heat on D'Antonio that he doesn't want to feel, but. Uh, you know, he's, he's getting, he's catching a little flack for the, the shuffling of uh, musical chairs in the coaching room where he just basically reassigned everyone to new positions instead of firing anybody. And it's not, not panning out so far this year. He's gotten some, uh, there's been some nasty off the field stuff that he's had to address and deal with that I'm sure has worn on him. Uh, so I don't know. It feels like a lot of just feels like it might be getting a little bit tired there for him. Bruce Feldman uh, for the athletic friend of the program. There's some uncertainty about how much longer Mark D'Antonio might be leading the MSU program. If that job opens up, I could see MSU looking closely at fickle. Did he, when did he tweet that? Uh, this is in the, it is in an article that he wrote on the athletic. Oh, Oh, oh I got you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's a, that's a, that would be a cultural fit. That would be, uh, uh, you know, that'd be, that'd be interesting. Um, player that is impressed. Player that is impressed. Um, what do you got? I got Jamar Chase and Sam Howell. Yep. This would fit there. Like I, I, I have, I, I put a category the a player that casual fans might not know, but they should know. And I bet a lot of people on a lot of our listeners probably know this dude, but and he was on our All American team. But Evan Weaver at Cal, like if you watch a Cal game, Evan Weaver makes makes literally every tackle. <laughs> no, he does. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's there. He's he is there. At the ball at the end of every play. Yes. Yeah. Every play. It's crazy. Um, and I'm sure they're doing a lot of stuff to to allow him to be that guy because he is such a sure tackler and you know, I'm sure they scheme things towards him, but I mean he's that's wild how many how many say he's he's involved around the football. Um and he's just sort of you know, he never seems like he is tired, he never seems beat up. He doesn't even like really have any scars or bandages or anything. He's just just kind of running around there. Looks like he just got just 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 trotted out there for the first snap every play. My uh, my sophomore year of high school, one of my uh, close buddies who played on the basketball team was like six three. He never played football in his life. In the middle of the season, they uh, the JV coach had. Uh, an opening at defensive end they asked him to play and he was just such a natural athlete that he was on varsity by the playoffs and it was just because it's like i don't, I don't know you got good instincts quickness and uh he, he was like i imagine evan weaver even though he wears gloves i imagine that he's out there like with no gloves on you know like he's just right. he just got plucked off the side and got pulled up to varsity he's like all right cool we're playing football now chase what the ball let's go right yeah, he's also wearing number eighty nine, right, right, right? You know, like just a totally random inside linebacker number. 
Uh, and, and he's he does put in a ton of film study. Like I know I know for sure he puts in a ton of film study trying to make like give himself as many advantages as possible. So it's it's not all just uh, magic. He, there is some hard work put in there, but you're right. It's absolutely nuts uh, the way that he seems to be everywhere at once. Yeah. Uh, my player that is disappointed is cousin Shea Patterson. Man, Shea's just kind of just kind of been a disappointing career for Shea at this point. Yep. I feel I feel for him. I, I, I it's probably frustrating for him. Had a lot of different coaches, a lot of different coordinators. Uh, but it's not it's not really working. And he's good. He's fine. He's better than most quarterbacks. Harbaugh had a comment in in his press conference this week or one of his media availability sessions and the question was something to the effect of like how do you just how do you you know how do you feel about Shea's performance or no I think the question was like what are you uh, encouraged by in this year's offense or something like that and it's a really interesting question to hear him answer because you can see him trying to be positive and try to resist saying anything that can be spun and hey look to be honest the offense hadn't been that good and so it it takes some it takes some mental discipline to like direct you know an extended answer towards positives in that offense and as he started sort of veering towards the quarterback position one of the lines he used was uh, you know, Shea Patterson, we're happy with the you know, plays he's making. He's, you know, he's, he's, you know, making good decisions, knows when to run, knows when to pass. And he said this, I thought it was interesting. He said, you know, he's been best quarterback on the field every game he played. Uh, and I don't know, I hadn't looked back and, and, and looked at it, but I mean, I guess he's the, I mean, I don't know. Low bar? Better, <laughs> You're saying yeah, it's a really I low mean, bar. He didn't have a better game than Jack Cohn. But I guess he's – I mean, I guess most people would take Shea Patterson over Jack Cohn, I guess. Um, but that's – I mean, if you're looking for a way to spin it, I mean, yeah, I guess he's been the better quarterback of the two on the field that on the games that they played, I guess. Better than Nate Stanley? In that game, certainly. Yeah, Nate, I mean, I guess – you. Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Would 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 Iowa have been better off with Shea Patterson under center? Because mm. I could see, I could see, given some of the, I mean, look, Nate Stanley wouldn't dodge in any of those those pass rushers. You know, that's that's as stationary as it gets right there. But I could also see Shea Patterson because he is such a, you know, and his his instinct is to extend plays and try to turn into something. I could see the all those free rushers or all those pass rushers getting to the, to the quarterback creating more turnovers than well, Nate Stanley threw three interceptions. So I don't know. Couldn't have been that much worse. I'm going to say maybe, maybe, maybe Shea would have been an upgrade for Nate Stanley. I'm going to say that uh, army quarterback, Kelvin Hopkins jr. Was the best quarterback on the field when Michigan beat army in overtime. Uh, yeah, that's, hey. he only had four pass attempts, but he I mean, executed this, the offense. I, I will. Yeah. Like as we sit here, I mean, Harbaugh's statement is absolutely, it, it is not, uh, y- I mean, you could take the other side of that. Right. Like, someone could have raised their hand and be like, uh, Hey Jim, actually, uh, Kevin Hopkins, Nate Stanley, Jack Cohn, uh, you know, all had better games, but, um, uh, but no, yeah, Michigan, but, you could, but yeah. All right. So, uh, just did you have any other superlatives? No. The only other one, and I kind of touched on Isaiah Simmons. I had a superlative, just the the player I'm least genetically similar to. Like, <laughs> I don't know, the, man. You've got you got big arms and legs. <laughs> but I just I that he the like Isaiah Simmons. I think, and I you could you could make this case for probably Chase Young as the other one that's um, has flashed like this, but. Isaiah Simmons and and the things that he does on the football field for Clemson, their linebacker safety hybrids athlete guy, it's just it's just like different human being type stuff. Yeah, like it's just you know I play I played basically his position in some way. I mean I wouldn't I was more of a safety than a linebacker, but he's trying he's doing and 
I mean, I just to like, how fun would it be just to be able to move around like that? Like, how fun would life be to just be able to run and jump and and cover ground like that? His, um, uh, yeah, he's. It's like the. It's a nightmare for opposing quarterbacks when they're looking to their two receiver or they're looking over the ball and Simmons is just right there reading the quarterback. Right. Or when he's blitzing from like 12 yards and you're like, I got plenty of time. Like this guy's coming from a, like a, like a one high safety look and then and he's, he's just on top. Of you, <laughs> you know? um, all right. So Michigan has at Penn state this week, they play Notre Dame at home the following week. They've got the Ohio State game at home. They've got the Michigan State game at home. Over under 1.5 wins in those four games. Uh, over under 1.5 wins in Penn State, Penn Notre, State Dame, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan State. Yeah. Well, what you you just you're not even going to consider the 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 sandwich ultimate spot? The ultimate sandwich <laughs> spot that one of our one of our listeners brought up with Indiana. Uh, over under one and a half wins in those four games. So I would say, I mean, I think they can beat Michigan state mm-hmm. and that game's at home. So I think that's the one, I think they can beat Notre Dame. I just don't know if I would, I don't even know if my own over under, if I would take it. That's a great question though, because it just like, I mean, they, this does still feel like a team that can, can eke out a win. And Notre Um, Dame is an eke out a win kind of opponent. Right. Very much so. Um, But I, 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 I think I would, I think I would still lead under, I think I would go one and three. Mm. I think they had finished the season eight and four. It's an eight and four team. It's an eight and four kind of team. Yeah, exactly. Uh, He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, Make sure that you subscribe to the Cover 3 podcast. And of course, if you want to add your question to our mailbag, it's growing by the day. Get it in. You give a five-star rating. You can give a review, say something nice, or like we said, uh, we're coachable. Offer up a suggestion. We can take coaching, but well, we don't. We don't. Li- we don't take negative coaching. We're millennials like that. So if you two, if you two star us, if you try to coach us up with a two star review, that's going through one ear and out the other. Right. But it, I've been excited about our. We have. We have good. Our listener comments have been strong, and our questions have been like I. Uh, I was look. There's more. Some new fresh ones today that are would be uh, fun to dig into. So I, I am. I think our use our listeners are outstanding. Tomorrow morning, we will be back with our fresh edition of The Locks. Barton, thank you very much. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.